Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with a message, The Four Horsemen. All right, well, around A.D. 95, you remember the Apostle Paul incarcerated on the island of, of Patmos, his crime being a follower and a leader uh, of the Christian community. And so the Roman Empire exiles John to the island of Patmos. And while he was there, he heard the voice of Jesus like a trumpet, and the voice said, come up here. And immediately, John said, I was in the spirit, and I was caught up into heaven. And so John, in heaven, saw the most amazing things. The first thing he saw was the Father. And by the way, this is metaphorical languages. It's not like God is in a body, God the Father sitting on a throne. We know that Jesus told the woman at uh, Samaria that, that God is a spirit. He's an eternal, infinite, immortal uh, spirit. So this is metaphorical language, but John sees the Father. He doesn't actually see his form. He sees colors emanating from the Father, the rainbow. It's just a beautiful, beautiful scene. He notices that there's a scroll in the right hand of the Father. He sees 24 elders clothed in white garments, and we determine those 24 elders represent the church in heaven washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, saved from the wrath that's coming to the earth. And then he saw four cherubim hovering around the throne. And then John heard a mighty angel loudly proclaim this. He heard the angel say, who is worthy to open the scroll. Remember that scroll in the Father's right hand? Who is worthy to open that scroll and to look upon it? In other words, the angel said, who's worthy to take the title deed of the earth from the Father's right hand and inherit what is within that title deed? And that loud proclamation was followed by total silence. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in heaven. It even, I, I think, got kind of awkward. Nobody's answering the angel's call. No one in heaven, no one on earth, nobody under the earth was worthy enough or able to uh, uh, answer the angel's call, step forward and take the title deed of the earth from the Father. And if you remember, John was filled, his heart was filled with sadness, and he began to weep. Now here's why, because John was an old guy. Scholars believe he's probably in his 90s around now. John's in heaven, he's lived on the earth, the, the fallen earth for a long, long time. He knows how bad things are down here. And so uh, John knew that because of Adam's sin, you gotta get this part before we move into chapter six. I'm laying the groundwork to help you have that biblical worldview. So John knew because of Adam's sin, John knew that because of the subsequent fall that the earth was under a curse and that mankind was in bondage to sin. And not only that, but that Satan was ruling over the whole mess. And John, as he's weeping, he just can't bear the thought that things are gonna continue on the earth as they are indefinitely. He can't fathom the thought that the earth is gonna remain under a curse forever. 
that mankind is gonna be in bondage to sin forever? And not only that, but Satan is gonna rule over the earth forever? And he begins to weep loudly. And you remember, it's so loud, one of the 24 elders hears him and goes to him, and by way of review, look at chapter five, verse five. One of the elders says to John, weep no more. Why? Here's the good news. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John, what did, he, what did he see? He saw a lamb standing, not falling over dead. He saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain. And that living lamb went boldly to the father and took the title deed of the earth from the father's right hand. Who's the lamb of God? Say his name. Jesus. And so John's vision, the message was crystal clear. Because of who he is, the Lamb of God, the resurrected Lamb of God, and because of what he did for us, he was sacrificed for the sins of the world. Jesus is the only one in all the universe, Jesus is the only one who is worthy to take the title deed from the Father's right hand to receive the inheritance contained in the content of the title deed. Jesus is the only one able to reverse the curse, redeem humanity, and destroy Satan forever. That's good news. Everybody should have your hands together clapping for our hero Jesus right now. I'm giving you guys some good news about the end. Because here, here's the thing. People are so without any hope. They don't know how it's all gonna end. Well, we've got the end of time written for us in the book of Revelation. We know how it's gonna end. Guess what? The Lamb of God is victorious. Guess what? He gets the title deed from the Father. Guess what? He gets to inherit everything in that title deed. Guess what? He's coming back to reverse the curse, to redeem humanity and to destroy Satan. Thank God for that. Thank God we don't have to live in this world forever and ever and ever under a curse. Thank God we don't have to perpetuate sin generation after generation after generation. Thank God that Jesus has a plan to come and fix it all, everything that Adam messed up. And so excuse me if I get excited, but Jesus Christ is my hero, and he ought to be everybody's hero who knows him. And he ought to be worshiped and praised no matter how we feel. Whether we feel good, whether we feel bad, we ought to be praising his name because he's worthy. So I just gave you a recap of chapters four and five. Today, we're gonna continue our study in chapter six. But first, we're gonna review the third section of Revelation. And so if you remember, in chapter 119, Jesus tells John, I want you to write, son. I want you to write the things you have seen Everybody, please look at me. Write the things you have seen. Write the things that are. And then write the things which will take place after this. That's the three main sections of Revelation. The things which you have seen is chapter one. John saw the resurrected Christ on the island of Patmos. The things which are, that's the seven letters to the seven churches. 
Seven, the number of completion, meaning that's a complete view of church history. Then chapters four, one and two, what happens to John? He's snatched up into heaven, and now we, we have the last third section of the book of Revelation, and it looks like this if you're taking notes. So chapters four and five, we already went through it. That's the church in heaven. And so we believe that chapters four, one, and two are a symbol of the church being snatched up so that we can avoid the wrath that's coming to the earth. And so chapters four and five, if you missed it, go back, uh, listen to the podcast, check it out on the website. So important that you understand where we are during this time. How many of you guys are glad that we're in heaven before all hell breaks loose on the earth? I don't, really, I don't understand, but a lot of Christians are like, they, it's almost like they wanna be here <laughs> during the tribulation. Chapter six nine, through 19, we start that today, is a study of the tribulation. God's wrath being poured out on the earth. His patience coming to a limit. Chapter 20, thank God, good news follows bad news. It's the second coming of Christ in chapter 19 and then the setting up of his kingdom in chapter 20. We know it as the millennium. It's literal. Why is it literal? Because God, everybody please look at me, has to fulfill all of his promises he made to Israel and that will happen on the earth when the son of David comes and reigns from Jerusalem. Chapters 21 and 22 is a new heavens and a new earth. Okay, so that's what's coming up here at Calvary. Look at chapter six, verse one. And now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seals. Okay, and so remember, the scroll in the Father's right hand is the title deed of the earth. It's got seven seals. He's now breaking one of the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a voice like thunder, come. And so the title deed that Jesus is gonna take from his father, again, has seven seals. All right, so we showed this picture a few weeks ago. Maybe it looks something like this. Uh, so you, there you have a scroll, and there you have seven seals. The seals, well, uh, melted wax around the knots, okay, and so no one can open the scroll unless you break the seals. Why is Jesus gonna open these seals? This is huge. You gotta get this. Because he wants to read the contents of the scroll. <laughs> right? Pretty easy. Since this scrolls, the title deed of the earth, I believe the content has to do with the specifics of the inheritance, what the owner of that seal is going to inherit because he's worthy. And so that is why I had you mark Psalm two. Hold your place in Revelation six, go backwards to Psalm chapter two. If you're brand new to the Bible, we're going all the way back to 1000 BC. This is David. He's writing what scholars call a messianic psalm, okay? So this psalm is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Again, again 1000 BC. And I'm, I'm amazed, this is in the Jewish Bible, I'm amazed that so many Jewish people don't see Jesus in Psalm two. 
Check it out. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? That's pretty dumb, isn't it? It's talking about the tribulation, end times, the series of battles called Armageddon. They take counsel together against the Lord and against his what? That's the Messiah. Every Jew knows that's the Messiah. Saying, verse three, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what's in the heart of man toward God and his son. We don't want them ruling over us. Check out God's response in verse four. He who sits in the heavens does what? Laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. My king, that's Messiah. Zion, that's Jerusalem. Holy hill, that's the temple mount. That's where Messiah is gonna come back and rule for a thousand years. That's why we believe in a literal millennium. Verse seven, I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, okay, this is the father speaking to the son. You are my what? Son. It's in the Jewish Bible. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. By the way, the son's not created, he is God. Ask of me, verse eight, the father says to the son, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And right next to verse eight, I have written Revelation 5, 7, title deed. Verse nine, you shall break them, that's the rebels on the earth, with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. And I love the next three words. Verse 12, kiss who? Wow. 1000 BC. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And so here you see what the content, or at least part of the content of the title deed in the Father's right hand is. One day Jesus is gonna break the seven seals. He's gonna open the scroll. He's gonna read the context. And he's gonna find out how the Father's gonna give him the nations of the world as his inheritance and the ends of the earth as his possession. In other words, Jesus is coming back to take back what the usurper, Satan, stole. Is this making sense to you guys? And so what are, as you turn it back to Revelation, what are the seals of the scroll? They are divine judgments released during the tribulation to evict those who are in rebellion to God. That's what the seals are. And so in the process of taking back the earth, Jesus is gonna pop open these seven seals. He's gonna unleash God's wrath upon the world. Why? Why would Jesus do that? That sounds so mean, right? He's doing it to evict off of the earth those who are in rebellion to God, that's why. 
And you know, people have problems with revelation, they have problems with wrath of God, they have problems with you know, Jesus coming back and by force setting up his kingdom. I have no problem with it at all. And so imagine if you're a landlord, and imagine if you rent your house to somebody, and imagine if that person that you rented your house to trashed your house and punched holes in the wall and um, let your yard go to pot and never paid the rent, what would you do to that tenant? Some of you say, I would say, oh, it's okay. You can continue to destroy my property and live there as long as you want. Is that what you would say? No. You'd say, I've warned you, and I've warned you. I've tried to be kind. I've done everything possible, but, you know, you need to get out. That's what you would say. And so it's the same thing when it comes to Jesus coming back to take back what is his. And God has warned as our Divine landlord, God has warned mankind over and over, but mankind will not listen. Mankind continues to reject the witness of creation without, Romans chapter one. He continues to reject the witness of conscience within, Romans chapter one. He continues to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He continues to worship other gods. He continues to make little images and bow down to those images. He continues to take God's name in vain. He continues to dishonor his parents. He continues to murder people and commit adultery and lie and covet and on and on and on. You read the papers, you know what mankind is doing right now. They continue to take drugs while they're pregnant so that babies that are born are born on drugs. They continue to prostitute themselves. They continue to cheat on their taxes. Whatever sin is in the book, mankind, this book has been around a long time. And you know what mankind does? Thanks, but no thanks. I don't need God. I don't need his son. And the worst thing of all is that God still loves them and sent his son to them and his son died on the cross for them. And the worst thing of all is even with that grace and gospel good news story, man says, no, thank you. And you try to share the love of Jesus with them, they put their, their hand in your face. And so what you got to understand, ladies and gentlemen, is that the landlord, God, has done everything he can do. And in Revelation 6, his patience runs out. Starting in this chapter in your Bible, the age of grace is over, and the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of God's wrath, will begin. And God's wrath will be unveiled upon the earth, unleashed upon the earth in the form of seven seals, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowls of wrath poured out on mankind. Now, when Jesus opens these first four seals, there are four riders that are summoned. Okay, so who are these riders? If you're taking notes, the riders are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We're just telling you how it's all gonna end. And so John says that one of the four living creatures, the four living creatures were cherubim, so you have this big, mighty cherub, and he's the one who summons these four horsemen of the apocalypse with a thunderous voice. 
I was kind of hoping with the rainstorm we'd hear thunder right when I say, come. So that anyone who's sleeping right now is woken up. With a thunderous voice, he says, come. And he summons first one, second one, third one. And so when you hear thunder, here's what you know, a storm's coming. And when this cherub says, come, with a thunderous voice, the worst storm in human history is gonna come upon the earth. And it's gonna be brewed up by the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now look at verse two. And I looked and behold, what kind of horse? What color? White horse. Don't let that throw you off. A white horse. And its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now he's riding on a white horse. In chapter 19, okay, you guys remember this? Tribulation, Revelation 6 through 19. In chapter 19, somebody comes back to the earth on a white horse. What is his name? Jesus. And so therefore, some people say, well, this guy in chapter six is Jesus. Wrong answer. It's not Jesus. Okay, so how do we know that the rider in chapter six is different from the rider in chapter 19? How do we know this guy is not Jesus? Five reasons. Okay, the, this rider in chapter six, he rides down to the earth to conquer, conquering and to conquer, while Jesus stays up in heaven to open all the seals, okay? So you, uh, it can't be Jesus. That's one reason. Second reason, this rider has a bow. When Jesus comes back, he's gonna have a sword. Third reason, this rider has one crown, Stephanos. When Jesus comes back, he has many crowns, diadems, the king's crown. Fourth reason is that this rider comes to the earth in the beginning of the tribulation. We're in chapter six. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back at the end of the tribulation, chapter 19. And then finally, this writer in chapter six, as a result of him coming, there's war, there's famine, there's death. But when Jesus comes back in chapter 19, he sets a kingdom of righteousness up. You guys understand now this is not Jesus. And so if this guy, the first horseman of the apocalypse, is not Jesus, then who is he? Well, simply, he is the coming prince of Daniel 9, 26 and 27. He is the future global leader who will rule over a revised Roman Empire. I'll explain all of that as we go later. He is the Antichrist. So the first horseman, his identity, is the Antichrist. Again, this is metaphorical language. There's not actual horses with guys coming down to the earth like Lord of the Rings, okay? This is just metaphorical language here. But it is the Antichrist because week one, when we started Revelation, remember behind every analogy, every, um, every uh, metaphor, there's a literal truth, okay? So literally, this guy is the Antichrist. The fact that he's riding on a white horse shows that he will try to deceive people into believing that he's the Messiah. But he's actually gonna be a counterfeit. And so many who are alive on the earth at the time, <clears throat> they're gonna accept him as the Christ. Here's why, because he's gonna bring peace to the world. These four horsemen, again, 
They are impersonal forces. And so it's best, uh, therefore, to define the first horseman as this. If you're taking notes, global peace. Okay, so that's what the first horseman represents. Global peace coming to the planet through the Antichrist. And somebody says, well, how do you know that the Antichrist is gonna bring peace? The answer is in verse two. Look at it again, please. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a what? A bow. Does everybody see the word bow in verse, verse two? If, if you see the word bow in verse two, say yes. Okay, but notice there's no arrows. You see that? All he has is a bow. He doesn't have any arrows, and yet he conquers. So how does he conquer without any arrows? Not by military might, but by peaceful diplomacy. And so the Antichrist, when he comes, he's not gonna come with a pitchfork and horns and a cape and fangs and ha, 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 right? And, and, and begin to kill people. No, he's gonna come as the greatest leader outside of Jesus that the world's ever seen. A magnanimous, charismatic politician who's gonna wow people with his oratory and bring peace to the world. He's gonna promise peace. He's gonna promise prosperity. And he's gonna do something that nobody's been able to do for the last 70 years. He's gonna bring peace to the Middle East. Say, where do you find that? I find that in Daniel chapter nine, verse 27. Okay, and so you're gonna have to trust me on this. You can go back and listen to my sermons on the 70 weeks of Daniel, okay? But I don't have time to go through all that. So Daniel 9, 27, and he, in the context, that's the coming prince of the people who um, killed the Messiah, destroyed Jerusalem, and destroyed the temple. Okay, so what group of people um, destroyed the temple and Jerusalem in AD 70? The who? The Romans. That's why we call this a revised Roman Empire. So he, that's the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant, that's a peace treaty, with many, okay, this is all about Israel in Daniel chapter nine, so it's Israel and her neighbors. For how long? One what? Week. Shavuot in the Hebrew. Again, I don't have time to go through all of it, but it's, it's 100% solid. That is not a week of days, it's a week of years for a seven-year period. Why do we call the tribulation the last seven years of history as we know it? Because of that word week right there. Seven years. And so he's gonna accomplish what no politician has been able to accomplish since the Jews came back to their land and became a nation in 1948. He's gonna bring peace to the Middle East. He's gonna get the Jews and the Arabs and the Muslims to gather around a table and sign a peace treaty. The world's gonna look on and say, finally, somebody who's got real answers to real problems. Finally, somebody who can get things done. But the peace and the security of the Antichrist is not gonna last very long. Paul put it this way, check it out. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace, there's security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. 
And so when the Antichrist comes, magnanimous, charismatic figure, bringing peace to the world, everybody says, finally, security, finally, peace. But it's a sham. It doesn't last very long. It doesn't last very long because of the second horseman. And so check it out now in verse 3. And when he opened the second seal, so Jesus just popped another seal. I heard the second living creature say, come, thunder his voice. And out came another horse, what color, bright what? Bright red, blood red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given a great sword. What does the second horseman represent? He represents global war. So the first rider, the Antichrist, global peace. The second rider takes peace from the world. He brings global war. By the way, if you read uh, Matthew 24, verses one through eight, Jesus goes through the four horsemen. He doesn't call them four horsemen, but he goes right through it. And, and by the way, most, um, I'm, not, I'm not gonna say most, but a lot of good, solid Bible scholars believe that um, most of these seals are opened in the first half of the tribulation period. And so, global war. It's a red horse, bloodshed, like never before. World War, World war I, nothing compared to this. War, World War II, nothing compared to this. All the different conflicts and wars uh, throughout um, our history as a nation, nothing compared to this. And so what's gonna happen is that tensions are gonna continue to rise among the leaders of these nations. And how many of you guys know that the tension is pretty high right now? And so tensions are gonna continue to rise until finally those tensions are gonna come to a breaking point when the rider of the second horse comes on the scene. And dictators, insane dictators, who are full of pride and hungry for power, they're gonna declare war on other nations. And because of modern day weaponry, the results are gonna be devastating. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I've been studying this since I was 18 years old. I've been studying this stuff since I was in Bible college and I took eschatology. And what, when, I, when I've read these different verses, I'm persuaded, maybe you disagree, but I'm persuaded that nuclear warfare is absolutely in the future of this planet. Absolutely. Somebody's gonna press the button at some point. And the reason I say that, uh, there's lots of verses, let me just give you one. Zechariah 14, 12. This is written 500 years BC and it's about the day of the Lord, the, the coming last seven years. Quote, their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. Now there's no way that that could have happened in 500 BC. But it can easily happen in our generation. With the invention of the atom, with the modern day weaponry that we have today, easily can happen in this generation. And so global warfare will result in another catastrophe that's brought on by the third horseman. Okay, so now we look at this guy in, in verses five and six. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, 
come. And I looked, and behold, what color horse? Black horse. And his rider had a pair, a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, quote, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Okay, what does this rider on the black horse represent? If you're taking notes, global famine. And so when the second horseman comes, there's global warfare unlike anything the world's ever seen. What does that do? That results in the catastrophe of the third horseman, global famine. And so when, with all this warfare, what happens is that the agricultural industry is almost wiped out on the planet. The ability to transport food is almost wiped out on the planet. Wheat fields, barley fields, charred beyond recognition. And so according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, I, I looked this up this past week, from 2014 to 2016, on the planet, one in nine people suffered from chronic undernourishment. I kind of wonder if it's more than that, but anyway, that's what the United Nations says. One in nine people between 2014 and 2015 suffered from chronic undernourishment. Well, those stats are gonna be far worse during the tribulation period. And did you notice this third rider has a pair of scales in his hand? What does that mean? That means that food is gonna be so scarce, uh, uh, food is gonna be so limited that they're gonna have to ration out food as people come. That's, that's what the scales mean. There's not gonna be enough food, okay? And so low supply, of food, plus high demand, lots of people want food, what does that produce? You guys know this, right? Inflation, outrageous inflation. And that's why John heard a voice coming somewhere from the cherubim, and the voice said, quote, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. This is really not that hard to understand. People read the book of Revelation, I don't get this, this is over my head, and they close it and they miss out on the blessing. It's not that hard to understand. A quart of wheat for a denarius. What is that? That's inflation. What's a denarius? A denarius is a silver coin, silver coin during the first century. It was worth one day's wages for the common average worker. And so during the tribulation, a guy or a woman is gonna have to work a whole day just for a quart of wheat. I mean, enough to kind of scoop up with your two hands. Barely enough to feed yourself during the day. That's one day's wage. And if you got a lot of mouths to feed at home, during the tribulation, barley is gonna be less than wheat. Barley has less nutrients than wheat. And so give me three quarts of barley. I got a family. And so they're gonna ration that out. And that is gonna be a whole day's wage as well. Barely enough food to feed your family. And so John also heard um, the, the, the voice say, and don't harm the oil and the wine. Don't harm the oil and the wine. So that means that olive oil is gonna be a precious and protected commodity during the tribulation so that you can cook the little bit of food that you have. And wine is also gonna be a precious and protected commodity during the tribulation so that you can um, purify the little bit of water that you have. Okay, so let's recap. First rider, that's global peace, but it's a sham. Second rider, global warfare. Third rider, 
global famine and all of that results in what the fourth horseman of the apocalypse brings. And so now we look at verse seven. It says, and when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, what color horse? Pale. And his rider's name was what? And Hades followed him. More on that in a minute. And they, okay, so we're done with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, and they, that's all four of them, were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. All right, so if you're taking notes, what does the fourth horseman represent? Well, it's the result of warfare. It's the result of famine. It's global death. This guy's riding on a pale horse. Pale, the color of a decomposing body, the color of death. Now, how many people are gonna die during the tribulation? Again, lots of scholars, good, solid guys, believe that um, most of this happens during the first half of the tribulation. In other words, the second half of the tribulation makes the first half of the tribulation look easy. How many people are going to perish as a result of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Did you see it in verse eight? Look at it again, halfway down. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth. A fourth of the earth. And so during this time, a fourth of the world's population is gonna be wiped out. It's gonna be the worst loss of human life ever seen at one time in human history, even worse than Noah's flood because there was a lot less people living on the planet back then. And so how many people would a fourth of the world's population be if the tribulation happened really soon? Well, according to the United States Census Bureau, we'll put the, the um, numbers up. This is a live website, and so you can see on the right-hand side, the world's population, more people are being born than, more, than, than are dying. And so 7 billion, 386 million, 237,000, and on and on and on, up and up and up, it continues to go. That's our world's population right now. Now again, nobody knows if, if, if the day of the Lord's happening in our lifetime or not. Uh, certainly seems that since Israel's come back to the land, that the stage is set, the Lord can come back at any moment. But that's our world's population right now. Now, other sources say that there's approximately 2.2 billion Christians on the planet. You guys know that? 2.2 billion Christians on the planet. But how many of you guys know that not, not everybody who says they're a Christian is really a Christian? Right? Well, my, um, my second uncle was a deacon at the Baptist church, and so I'm a Christian, right? So not everybody who says I'm a Christian is a Christian, and so I'm just gonna take a wild guess. Only God knows who's born again, who's not born again on the planet. I'm gonna take a wild guess, and I'll even be what I think um, is a high number. I'm gonna say one billion true Christians on the planet. 
Okay, and so that would mean, again, we believe the rapture happens before the wrath comes, and so that means approximately a billion people caught up to see their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 7.4 billion on the planet minus one billion is 6.4 billion. 6.4 billion. After the four horsemen of the apocalypse come, global peace, sham, global war, global famine, what happens is a fourth of the 6.4 billion wiped out. What does that mean? That means 1.6 billion people perish. 1.6 billion people perish. How do they die? It says in the second half of verse eight, they were killed with the sword, with famine, pestilence, wild beasts of the earth. So mankind in some areas of the earth are gonna be so weak and so vulnerable and, the, and these wild beasts, these wild animals, their food supply is gonna be greatly altered and so wild beasts are gonna lose their fear of humans, they're gonna hunt humans. Not only that, but rats, no doubt, are gonna carry pestilence to different parts of the world, wiping out millions. I don't know if you remember in your studies, but in the 14th century, the Black Death, the bubonic plague, killed 20 million people in Europe. And what wild beast carried the bubonic plague? Anybody remember? Rats. And so the fourth horseman is called death, and it says in verse eight that Hades follows him. Now stick with me, please, all, all the way to the end. But what is Hades? If you're taking notes, here's your last point. Hades is so much more than just the grave. Is the place that temporarily holds the immaterial part of the unbeliever between death and the ultimate casting into the lake of fire. That's Hades. And so ladies and gentlemen, what you have to understand is that you and I have a body and we also have an immortal soul. When our body perishes, it goes six feet under. When our body perishes, our soul either goes immediately into the Lord's presence if our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus or it immediately goes to a place called Hades where it's contained temporarily until after the millennium and the great white throne judgment when death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus is worthy to take the scroll. Jesus is coming back to fix what's wrong. He wants to redeem humanity. He wants to set up his kingdom. He wants you to live with him forever and ever. That's God's will for your life. Here's the good news, we'll end, we'll end with this. Second Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You remember Niagara Falls? Remember the cup turned upside down? God's love is there for you. It's up to you to put your faith in Jesus and receive his love. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvary.com 
psl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.